American podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast. We're going to attempt time travel. Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past, as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in and we would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and contact information, or just email us at timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. All I'm asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension. Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters Podcast. I am your host, Christopher, here, as always, with my awesome co-host and friend, Tom. Tom, how the heck have you been? It's been a... It feels like it's been a long two weeks. Well, they all seem like a long two weeks. The news out there is not great, so... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Not to get into anything anything real world, but yeah, there's a lot of just crap going on, um gonna try to ignore through this show that's why we do this show is to ignore the rest of that other people that are trying to kind of avoid the world real world (laughs) by diving into some podcasting occasionally i want to mention some milestones of some friends of the cast here we'll start with uh rod barnett and his the bloody pit podcast is finally celebrating actually just celebrated its 150th episode so congratulations rod that the bloody pit is a show that doesn't really have a schedule at least not one that i've been able to to (laughs) nail down i think it's whenever he and a co-host can get together to talk about something so it might be every month or maybe every two months but so getting to 150 is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, that's impressive when you, you don't have a set schedule like that. But, you know, hey, we all do this for just the heck of it. So that's at least right. a lot of us do this for just the heck of it. The Good Beer, Bad Movie Night. Congratulations to Pete, Dave, Troy, and Kathleen for celebrating their fifth year coming up in July. That is also a fantastic milestone. They are a more or less monthly podcast. And they, it's exactly that. They try to find good beers and see how many beers it takes to enjoy a bad movie. I, I, I encourage them to go with uh, bad beer, good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally that does happen, or at least <laughs> some of it, it depends. Since there's four of them, not all beers are created equal, well, is... or at least the, the, the tastes of... Uh, the hosts yeah. don't find all beers created equal. So I wouldn't fare well in that podcast anyway. So. <laughs> and the big one, the B movie cast is celebrating its 500th episode. That is absolutely amazing. I mean, Vince Rotolo, when he started recording that show was, he wasn't one of the first, but he was like one of the second <laughs> person to do a movie review podcast. His wife has kept it going after his passing, and I think coming up on 500 is just a fantastic way to uh, commemorate the man and for his uh, his endeavors all those years. And it's congratulations, guys. That's just that's, that's fantastic. That's... 500. I can't even imagine. We're coming for you. <laughs> 
Yeah, we need you to like stop. So we can <laughs> <up>. <laughs> yeah, it will take a little longer. <laughs> Some news I wanted to mention. Speaking, I guess, milestones, 40th anniversary of John Carpenter's The Thing is coming up, and to celebrate, they're bringing it back to theaters. That's pretty cool. I think it's a Fathom Events, I'm pretty sure, is uh, doing it. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Uh, that would be, I I don't know if I want to see that on a big screen. <laughs> it kind of freaks me out on the small screen enough. Uh, they were running the trailer for it. I uh, took my son to uh, the Doctor Strange movie, and he's like, what is that? I'm like, not one you're going to go watch. <laughs> you need to be a little bit older, son. Yeah, 13's not quite enough. Or or you need to see it right before you go back to your mom's. There you go. I don't want to deal with the nightmares. Nope. <laughs> Fun film, and yeah, seen in the theater again, that would be pretty awesome. So yeah, and for forty years, the the effects in it still date very well. <laughs> well, and again, practical effects. practical effects. It's all practical effects. That's why they hold up. Another bit of news that came up recently: there's a glitch in Voyager One. It's sending back strange signals and has NASA a bit confused. Susanna Dodd, the project manager for Voyager 1 and its twin Voyager 2 at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California, said in a statement, The craft are both almost 45 years old, which is far beyond what the mission planners anticipated. We're also in interstellar space, a high-radiation environment that no spacecraft have flown in before. Now, apparently, this glitch has to do with Voyager 1's attitude, articulation, and control system, which keeps the spacecraft and its antenna in the proper proper orientation the system seems to be working fine since the spacecraft is still receiving commands and acting on them and sending back data to earth but it's also sending junk telemetry data so it's working but it doesn't know where it is (laughs) i guess is what it i'm lost it's like i've got my phone i'm telling you i'm lost but I don't know. I don't know where I am. Still, I'm still with uh, all the peeps online. V, it's becoming V'ger. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before it gets sent sent home, and we have to get Starfleet uh, before it happens. Speaking of Starfleet, you mentioned last episode. I didn't want to get into it then because we were already talking about so much other stuff. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned that you had finished watching the second season of Picard. I did yes curious to know what you thought of it i don't know how to feel about it because it fits in a couple of different things uh, i i have to admit i i really enjoyed kind of putting a little bow on the relationship between picard and q mm-hmm. i did like that but i have problems with the <laughs> the story along the way <laughs> um okay and I don't want to disclose a whole lot, but I mean, depending on... This is where we always go wrong with time travel stuff. They made a change that involves the Borg that if they made that change, are the Borg the same Borg that we we knew? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so how much of what we know about and saw the Borg and Next Gen and First Contact didn't happen? Or didn't it? Or because the 
the series starts with them coming from almost like another dimension. So perhaps she slips out. Or maybe it's just another faction as we we saw in next gen that there can there was a, a civil war amongst the Borg, so maybe there's different factions and yeah, see that like like, like I said, hey, and, and Trek's good about doing that, and I tried to give it uh, a little room to breathe. Let, let, everybody that wants everything to remain solidly within canon kinda doesn't leave room for writers to create and all of that so that's very true it's gonna come up even with the new strange new worlds and all that because they're trying to do with stuff before with characters that we already know so they need a little room to stretch so they may take liberties i try to liken it a little bit more to almost like comic book style like these are all things that take place all it roughly in the same world, but you're going to get slight interpretations. Just learn to enjoy it for the contained thing that it is and understand it might still fit in the overarching history. Or kind of like uh, DC with their multiple Earths. Kind of. Oh, you know, I, well. It's Earth 1 and Earth 2 are almost identical, except... This one has this superhero, and this one has this other superhero. Well, and how many episodes of Star Trek do you have to watch to find out that uh, there are multiple dimensions? And <laughs> I mean, I leave whenever I have nothing else going on, or I just see, need something mindless in the background. The TV's locked to Pluto on the Star Trek channel, and I keep seeing that one where. Worf keeps uh, jumping, his consciousness keeps jumping between all the the different potential universes that are out there yes. until they all collide all at once in the same space. And so, I mean, if that can be the case, then of course all of the, uh, the rest of this is possible. But yeah, uh, what's your, what are your thoughts? You watched Picard too. Yeah, I, I liked a lot of it. Uh, some of it uh, was okay, a little mediocre. I never imagined Picard would suddenly become such a hugger. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's getting soft in his old age. And, and actually, that was one of the things that I did kind of like the uh, as far as the theme for this is the notion that a lot of this is supposed to be about the road not traveled. The um, Every decision we make can compound what happens later so the fact that picard cut most of his social ties he stayed a solitary man in great many ways that had an impact on his life so and now Mm -hmm. he's kind of regretting that i feel like it's a story we've now told multiple times with picard Mm -hmm. how many times are we going to see him take these alternate paths and realize, oh, that wasn't so bad. I mean, we saw him live an entire life and raise a family and everything. And that later on, when he explains that, you know, when that happened, it, it changed the way he thought about, about his life. Okay. We've saw that. Great. And it's happened repeatedly. And then yeah, tapestry where he goes back and doesn't fight the Nausicaan and get his artificial heart. And so it, it feels like the same story just told 
slightly different. Oh, I know. There's an entire episode post the one where he lives the entire life. I, I always forget the name of the episode, the one where he gets the flute. Um, Inner Light, I believe. Yeah. Some, um, but a later episode involves him meeting uh, a member of his crew, a new member of his crew who is very much into music, gets him to play his music with her, they actually start a relationship, and then he shuts it down immediately because he had to put her in danger. And like, mm-hmm. did you not learn anything <laughs> from these things that you're doing? Uh, there, I literally uh, earlier today watched the one where um, he and uh, Doctor Crusher are literally joined in the mind. Mm-hmm. They, they're mm-hmm. sharing each other's thoughts. They are realizing that there's potential for a relationship. And then that gets shut down at the end of the episode, too. I'm like, how many... You're right. How many times does he have to see the the potential for human contact and then not take it? Right. Yeah, I can't help but think that, you know, this is Picard season two, and then we, we see at the end that, you know, he you think he's finally learned his lesson. I just feel like if we had one more episode, he'd be shutting down the next relationship. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, no. If, uh, well, we are going to get it season three, so we'll find out that he doesn't carry on the relationship with his Romulan girlfriend. But Right. <laughs> There's another thing, and this is, I don't know if this is silly or not, but I'm kind of glad. I think they announced that season three will be the last. Yes. I'm kind of glad they are because Patrick Stewart is really starting to look old. <laughs> It, yeah, it's starting to be difficult to see him as the man of action. <laughs> well, they wisely didn't do a whole lot of the man of action stuff in this season. I mean, uh, I think most of what he did was relatively age appropriate, but there are many times where he just seems like the doddering old man. Right. You know, and it's like, this is uncomfortable because you're used to Picard, you know, right. on the bridge of the Enterprise, standing tall and straight and... This is an old man. <laughs> Someone bring me my prune juice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to take this moment to, uh, I think part of my problem with Picard is kind of part of, and, and yeah, lots of people are bringing this up, especially with Discovery and all. The, the, the notion that the entire season is a single overarching um, story. And part of my problem with Picard is they had several different themes they wanted to incorporate through this single overarching story, and they feel wedged in there. There's a there's a mental health um, component to this related to his history. There's that Borg thread in there. There's the thread mm-hmm. with Q. Then there's all the other uh, relationship stuff going on. We, we, we decide we want to take on um, immigration at one yeah. point. Some of these start to feel a little forced and heavy-handed when we're trying to tell a story, uh, uh, a, a single story where we're basically trying to say, Q created a problem, we need to solve it. Um, and yet somehow we still get in all these other little things. So it starts to feel like they don't all fit. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Trek taking on modern problems. No. But 
I do appreciate it when they can do it with a little bit more of a, a softer hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a few times in through Picard where it was just the episode could have been titled "The One About." Right. <laughs> so yeah, so to actually, oh, we're gonna tell a story about immigration by actually telling a story about immigration. Okay, that's not exactly what Star Trek did in the <laughs> through the '60s and the '80s. Uh, they found m- little more subtle ways to tell that story, but because we are still having issues with X problem, maybe they were too subtle then, and maybe you kind of have to like hit hit him, hit with bigger hammers nowadays if you want to actually try to get your point across. I don't know who has latched onto this as an idea. I love Khan like it, anyone. <laughs> it 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 was an interesting way to create a real nemesis in the Trek world. His shadow is in everything all the time anymore, and yeah, it it's getting a little weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like. You haven't even watched uh, the third episode of Strange New Worlds, and it is front and center in, really? in oh that goodness. one. They handle it well, and again, because this predates original Trek, it fits. But they alluded to it in the first episode with the, eugeni- the mention of the eugenics war. Sure. And the fact that we essentially just, Picard sets up a path to the eugenics war in the uh, in the entire telling of the story. So, I, again, I'm not against it and and all. It just feels like it's the the comfortable fallback position instead of having to create something new. We're going to constantly rely on something that everybody likes. Overall, I mean, I guess I enjoyed it, and I will certainly watch season three. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see them uh, just kind of wrap up the overall um, uh, next gen, where they went, what happened after, because since literally everyone but Will Wheaton (laughs) is due to come back, but we found out in this why Will Wheaton will not be back in the third season. Right, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the entire next gen cast is going to uh, reprise their roles um, for... uh, for the third season. I will say casting through season two, young Guinan was brilliant. She was. I just, especially since I had recently caught the episode where um, Guinan had run into uh, Picard and the rest back in the 1800s with Mark Twain, why she doesn't seem to remember him. (laughs) Kind of like, because I just watched it, and then that's when I just watched that. I'm like, wait, come on. And why Why does she look like future Guinan in the past, but now she doesn't? Uh, you know, that, that that's retconning. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, You'll allow it? I'll allow it. It's fine. I, I, you can't go ask. We already had Whoopi Goldberg in there, and she said she allowed herself to age just to keep up with the rest of the humans. Yeah, I was going to say they did have some line about allowing herself, you know, so maybe her species, not only can they age differently, maybe they can choose which direction they age. (laughs) 
Right. I mean, uh, they they pulled that off. Uh, I thought that was neat and tidy the way they did it when they introduced Q uh, mm-hmm. in the first episode. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yes. No. That, <laughs> I loved it. That was fantastic. <laughs> we did the young Q right for the first scene. Just go. Wow, you got old. I, let me catch up. Bam. And I'm <laughs> now 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 I'm age appropriate. So <laughs> I liked how they handled that. I don't have a problem. I just and I just did. I admit. Go ahead and scream at me. I just got done saying you write, you can write these things and give yourself a little leeway, but that seemed kind of glaring to me that, like, she doesn't know who he is, but she met him, like, a hundred years ago. <laughs> well, maybe she forgot. Well, he did look he, a lot younger then, he, too. He looks like an old man now. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, it's 100 years plus, so I, I, I guess, uh, yeah, not seeing him all wrinkly and stuff now as opposed to what he was when he first showed up. Uh, okay, I'll allow it. Yep, you talked me exactly. into it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, cool. Well, I'm glad you at least uh, you didn't hate it. You, no, it, no, no, it no. is not a, uh, you do not quite have the, the I don't want to say hatred, but the, the, the dislike that you do for Discovery. <laughs> That one just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We won't, let's not get into that. That's a whole, that, that's an episode unto itself. <laughs> yeah. We'll take a break. We'll play a promo or two or three, actually. Uh, maybe for uh, all these milestone podcasts. And when we get back, we ourselves are going to talk about 1985's Back to the Future. This is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction film. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project. What's well, going to take us a long... Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody So join me for The Bloody Pit. Just how drunk are we gonna get? 
Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Killboy Kreitz. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I that up. <laughs> Try that again. As we drag Kathleen. Hear me. Kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom, so tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? What about DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a peeping tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. Just right now, lad, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown... Can help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. Back to the Future was written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale and directed by Zemeckis. It is the box office hit of the teen science fiction action comedies that came out that year. Stars Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. Christopher Lloyd as Doc Emmett Brown. Leah Thompson as Lorraine. Crispin Glover as George McFly. And Tom Wilson as Biff Tannen. Marty is your typical high school teen dealing with school, his girlfriend, and parents he just doesn't understand. Well, typical except for the fact that he has an eccentric scientist for a friend. 
When Doc Brown unveils his latest invention, a time-traveling DeLorean, Marty is plenty impressed. But when the Libyans, who Doc stole the radioactive isotope from to power the car, show up and gun down Doc, Marty tries to escape in the DeLorean. Hitting the precise speed of 88 miles an hour, he is catapulted back in time to 1955. There he stumbles on his teenage parents, who are not at all what he expected, especially his mom, who takes a shine to young Marty after he gets involved in an accident that should have involved his future father. His only hope is to find the Doc Brown of the past, fix the DeLorean, fix the timeline, and get back to the future. Now this was your choice because you wanted to reclaim 1985 after our My Science Project did not do it for you. Didn't sit so well, yeah. <laughs> did this one sit as well as you remembered it? It, uh, it, it did, yeah. No, I, I still thoroughly enjoy this film, but it it occurs to me I have not watched this in a good long time. Good long time. Nice. Like it, now that I think about it, well... Yeah, it's like on periodically on any kind of venue that you like. So, might have caught bits and pieces, but I've never sat down for the whole thing in probably more than a decade. Wow, okay. I mean, well, there's just so much out there. and That's true. This one's burned into my brain. This was what I went to see for my birthday when I turned 12. Nice. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I remember going to Chi-Chi's. It was great. <laughs> so, <laughs> a good time was had by all. So, And this was one of those few movies where actually my family, my parents, my sister, and I, we all loved it. So that was a rare find, in, in especially in 1985. But, uh, Absolutely. But it, it's amazing to me when, uh, when you watch it again, um, just the things that kind of stick out, especially in... 2022 um but like the first thing i texted you immediately because uh, of course watching this in 4k and all that uh watching uh um supposedly quote unquote old doc brown um near near his van and you can see the plastic makeup <laughs> at his <laughs> neck made where they made wrinkles it, it's not moving like human skin <laughs> like Okay, you know, while a decent effect when you were going to throw it up on a big screen on a blurry projection um, doesn't pull off so well in 4K. I guess they age up Leah Thompson as well early on in the mm-hmm. uh, in the movie. And I, I, I texted you back that I remember in, uh, I guess it was uh, Back to the Future 2, where they age up uh, Michael J. Fox. They age up like everybody. Yeah, And I remember saying that I... I, I don't remember the old age makeup really holding up terribly well on that one either. As I described it, it it's like they are all survivors from an Elmer's glue explosion. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So it, it kind of sat like that, uh, which I thought that that's a lot of time. But part of the what I think they latched onto more in the other uh, Back to the Future movies is Doc Brown's just always old. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, they even made the joke in, in the first one that, that, oh, look, I still have my hair. And I'm like, yeah, it's been mm-hmm. it's been sheet white since day one. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm actually surprised they put any kind of makeup 
old age makeup on them at all. Right. You really could have just let them go, and it would just be another thing that's just like, eh, whatever, it's Doc Brown. I kind of played nicely with the time travel anyways. Why, why shouldn't the man that always looked old, no matter which time he's in, not be the guy that invented a time machine? <laughs> yeah, of course. After falling off his toilet, I think it was. Yeah. Hanging a clock. Yeah, see, hanging a clock, hence the time part. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I'll just go ahead and throw it out there, Uh, especially in this day and age when the solution to getting his parents back together is for him to supposedly fake a sexual assault on his mother. Yeah. As he's very, and he's even grimacing as he's uh, describing to, to his future father what it is that he's going to do uh i'm like yeah maybe that maybe there was another way to do that (laughs) yeah well this is where the 80s shines through Uh i think for sure (laughs) i mean this is this is the the era of um it's okay he raped me because now i love him uh (laughs) i jumped to revenge of the nerds immediately (laughs) yeah on that i'm like it's sure it's fine as long as the outcome's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you you could mention any films, you know, Police Academy, mm. uh, Porky's, Revenge of the Nerds. Pick one, and they're going to have an element in there along these lines. Yeah, so it, it is kind of funny when you do get to that scene finally, and you actually hearing him in your adult brain now explaining what it is that he's going to do, like. that's not quite right dude (laughs) they kind of make a point of like not mentioning that that's his mom (laughs) it's just lorraine (laughs) right uh well yeah and that that's it gets even darker if you start thinking it's bad enough that your solution is to fake rape this person but it's also your mom Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and suddenly there's a Pornhub category born, you know. <laughs> well, this is Oedipal Complex at its finest. Uh-huh. So, so uh, all that aside, though, um, if you can divorce that from there, which is a little hard to do, but if you can, it's just still so much fun. <laughs> It, it is an absolute blast to watch. It is so much fun. And so much of it is, you know, the cast. Michael J. Fox, there's a reason he was such a big star mm-hmm. in the 80s. Uh, he was, of course, the original choice to play Marty McFly. And at first they couldn't get him because he was tied up with family ties. Yeah. Meredith Baxter was pregnant. And I think not filming or not filming much. And so a whole lot of uh, the scripts had to rely on everyone else, including Michael J. Fox. So the showrunners couldn't let him go. Right. They filmed six weeks with Eric Stoltz for Back to the Future. And after six weeks, everyone involved, including Stoltz, said, yeah, this isn't good. This isn't right. And by that time, Meredith Baxter was back on the show on Family Ties, and the producer said, all right, you can go and do Back to the Future. 
But to do it, Michael J. Fox was effectively doing working two jobs. Yeah. He would tape Family Ties and then immediately drive to the film set and work from like 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. most days. Oh, God. In order to film Back to the Future. And anything that they had to shoot in the daytime, they would do like on the weekends. Amazing that he was able to do it at all. But can you imagine this film with anybody else? I mean, you just... You, you can't. There is no one else other than Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson and Crispin Glover. I mean, you can't do it. No, no. Uh, it, you couldn't. You could not recast this movie. I, I really don't think so. And God forbid anybody actually try to remake this someday. <laughs> I heard I read on IMDb and I don't know, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But the rights to the film are still in the hands of like Gale and Zemeckis. Yeah. And they have said that as long as they're alive, there will never be a remake. Yeah, which just means there's a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Hopefully they can put something in their last will and testament or something. <laughs> this must be forever passed down and never changed. It's got to wait, uh, what is it, 80 years or something <laughs> to hit public domain and then someone can remake it. I don't even think that's long enough. I like. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. I do not want to see this remake. No, no, no never. And they, they nailed it. Um, if if you're gonna do this movie, you nailed it. <laughs> so yeah. Well, and there's so much about this film, like you said, just nails it. They nailed the balance between like the comedy and the adventure. Mm-hmm. They work in. You could call it a little bit of drama. I guess certainly, I mean, he's the thread is him fading away from fading out of time, you know, fading from existence and everything. And how's this all going to work? And of course, you know, in the end, everyone's going to make up and it's all going to be right and it's going to be a happy ending. But still, you know, you still got to get there and you got to figure out how it's going to happen yeah, and how they do it. It's all just so much kind of like, um, wouldn't it be crazy if? And it really works in this up, film.
Okay, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are going to love it. Well, and, and we'll forgive that the it, it's the white kid that uh, introduced the, oh, well, the, yeah. the, the music to Chuck Berry. <laughs> well, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll forgive that since he literally was doing Chuck Berry to introduce to Chuck Berry. Right. So, bit of a loop there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but since you brought up, uh, like, Johnny B. Good, that's part of what makes this film, too, is the music. The soundtrack is incredible. I still have this on vinyl. Oh, nice. Yes, yeah. I have my original copy of the Back to the Future soundtrack on vital. I know Huey Lewis was relatively popular at the time. Mm-hmm. I think they have a lot to thank this movie for. <laughs> they they do. But, but yeah, no, I mean, that the power of love was now on everybody's mind forever and always. I loved uh, Huey Lewis's cameo in this film. What, did you know about this? I didn't know. Uh, I missed it. Marty goes. Marty goes to the audition. Him and his band, or whatever it is, he's going to the uh, the audition to play at the school dance, or whatever it, it is. Is he one of the judges? He's the judge. Oh my god! He's he's the one that sits back there and says, "You're just too damn loud." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even pay any attention to that. <laughs> That's Huey Lewis. Brilliant. This, in fact, speaking of Huey Lewis in the news. Um, that was my first ever concert, and it was because of this movie. Because nice. I had to go to that concert with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> but they they took me to the Huey Lewis concert because of this movie. Well, and they probably enjoyed that concert. They did. In part because of this movie. Yes. No, it, it, it bridged a bit of a gap. So yeah, no, it, you and you and mom and dad bonded a little bit oh, over Huey Lewis. <laughs> yeah, no, that, 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 that's absolutely true. And so, and, and I mean, that's part of what uh, the movie was about, anyways. It, it was it was to close that gap between your relationship with your parents. Uh, um, I've seen it multiple times in uh, in all sorts of write ups. It, it's that notion that. No teenager can truly think of their parents as ever having been teenagers. So actually getting to meet them while they are and realizing, one, half the stuff that they've told you when they grew up, um, they're full of crap. (laughs) (laughs) And and two, yes, they, they were teenagers. They made mistakes. They did stupid stuff. And they were as much probably like you as you are now. So... Yes, there's that wonderful scene when uh, Marty's in the car with his mom and, you know, she pulls out the cigarette. And the booze. <laughs> and then she pulls out the flask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, what? You smoke too? What? <laughs> and it, it, it always reminds me of those times when um, when your parents are talking about something and they kind of let slip, you know, that they blah, 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 you know, and, and with the cigarette. And like, wait, What? <laughs> Well, I I only I only smoked for a little while. <laughs> like you what? <laughs> the thing that you have been torturing me about all of your life. But yeah, no. So I, I, yeah, it's one of the things that's kind of uh, um 
eternal about the the film is that it does it gives an opportunity to bridge age gap lorraine as an adult is telling marty well i you know when i was your age girls didn't go calling boys and everything i think there is a need at least certainly of a maybe our parents generation to do as i say not as i did right and i think that plays in there so they they say things like that knowing full well that that's not true (laughs) that they're being a hypocrite because they think that's probably better for you to hear than oh yeah when i was your age i party yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, because that at least in a parent's brain that sounds like giving permission to do it exactly yeah you don't want to go oh boy did i party you want to go yeah i partied a lot and uh yeah, you know, do the life lesson with that, not just... <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a better way to get you there than just saying no. <laughs> yes. No, no, me? I never, I never touched a drop of liquor until I was 21. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I didn't turn 21 until I was 30. <laughs> it's kind of magical. I mean, the whole thing is just... There's so much about this film that becomes iconic, too. I mean, certainly, like I said, Michael J. Fox was already popular in television. Bam, suddenly he's a movie star. Uh, Christopher Lloyd had already had a fine career. Mm -hmm. I think this really put him on the map. Suddenly, it's Christopher Lloyd is suddenly a a name you could put on a movie poster and attract people with. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It popularized a complete failure of an automobile and made it a collector's item <laughs> it, it did do that because it was a joke at the time <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of people that would that laughed at scoffed at the very idea that it could go 88 miles an hour in the first place <laughs> <laughs> not without breaking down <laughs> i i still marvel that marty managed to get it done in the parking lot <laughs> yes <laughs> i remember them um them saying that they chose that car just because of the look, because of the gall wing and the the futuristic. I mean, the yeah, stainless, stainless steel. steel it, you, you couldn't pick a better looking car for something like that. And the fact that they actually in the in the script give it a little bit of a reason why. You know, Doc, they do kind of like act like it's a big deal as the DeLorean. But then he says, besides the stainless steel body, et cetera. You know, science speak, science speak. Yeah, it, it they make it make sense. Yeah, he picked it for a reason, but then ultimately, well, if you're going to do it, do it with a little right. style. <laughs> right. I think that's what he said. If you're going to spend your entire your family fortune to build a time machine, why not go for broke? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the uh, the method of time travel, it just works. Mm-hmm. The flux capacitor, uh, a couple uh, neon lights. That's that's what makes time travel possible, and it yeah. We discussed this at the the start of the year that on occasion, especially when it comes to time travel, you're just going to have a MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. And our MacGuffin is the flux capacitor. Yep. (laughs) And you slap that in a snazzy DeLorean and you get it up to 88 miles per hour because why not? (laughs) That makes as much sense as anything else. But there you go. Bam. You've got a way to break the uh, the time-space barrier. 
uh, don't forget you got to have the uh, the plutonium core to uh, power the uh, the electric to actually uh, generate the time travel. But the the key is getting to the uh, one point whatever uh, gigawatts. One point twenty one gigawatts. Yes. <laughs> one point twenty one gigawatts. But yes, you have to get to the one point one twig. 21 gigawatts so um so yes you need your plutonium the movie is also full of really great gags that are not pointed out to you it's just up to the audience to notice Mm -hmm. uh one of which you texted me because you didn't actually realize you didn't notice this it was something i remember catching a long time ago, and when someone else brought it up, like, oh, you probably thought the producers made a mistake. And, and I was like, really? And that's the uh, change from Twin Pine to Lone Pine Mall. Because Marty runs over one of the pines. <laughs> no, it totally made sense, but... Uh, and, and, and it's not that I... Uh, I never caught the change in the sign. Oh, gotcha. I was so focused on the action with the DeLorean and, and with Michael J. Fox, the, the the sign didn't ever register. So, and it wasn't until I had read that and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I totally get it. I just didn't see it the first time. It, it, gotcha. It's one of those things. Had I been looking for it, uh, or if I had. If my attention wasn't elsewhere, I would have got it because then it stood out like a sore thumb, especially when uh, Marty pulls out of the barn and takes off, and the the farmer is actually complaining that you he just killed his pine <laughs> as he drives over it. I'm like, now that I'm looking for it, I'm like, how did you miss it in the first place? <laughs> Yeah, no, it it it's subtle. It's just it just you know maybe the camera the camera pans over it. It doesn't linger on it. No one points anything out. Marty doesn't say, "Hey, wait a minute." Nothing like that. Well, and that's kind of, I'm I'm literally kind of in Marty's headspace at, at the time that it's all happening. Anyways, Marty is on the return visit trip because the car <laughs> I did. You can't help but not like the dig at the DeLorean, though, because um, despite the fact that it's a time machine, it still breaks down (laughs) a lot (laughs) and always at the most inopportune times. (laughs) So, yes, sounds just like the the car itself. So um, so you you had to just giggle at that. But the, the fact that he had to run back to the mall to make it he and he's literally next to the sign the lone the lone pine sign and it didn't register to him at the time either so oh, but he, well, he wasn't paying attention well, he wasn't that, paying hey. attention but that's like like i said i'm in that i'm in his headspace i'm paying attention to we gotta get back to doc mm-hmm. <laughs> not paying attention to the damn sign <laughs> but now seeing it, you get to enjoy the fact that that is your first inkling, your really true first inkling that something has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, that he had an effect on being in the past, and it is a nice little subtle nod there. Uh, it, it's it's going to sit like a neon sign for me forever. You know, strangely, I was thinking about this. There are 
moments, you know, obviously what happens to his parents, the Twin Pine to Lone Pine Mall and everything are all contingent on his actions in 1955. Mm-hmm. So if he weren't in 1955, none of that stuff happened. But there's other moments that he perpetuates by being in 1955 that was already taking place in 1985. Like the uh, the one uh, African-American who was just, you know, uh, working at the cafe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, you're going to be mayor. Yeah, mayor. In of course, in 1985, he is mayor or he's running for mayor. So did Marty plant that idea in his head? But if he did, why was it happening before Marty went back in time? Or anybody could have planted that seed in that man's head. So maybe it was just coincidence. That's one of those things where we don't know how far his influence stretched. He didn't, he was only in a very tight little space. So he didn't impact like the globe or anything, just the lives that he was around. So you don't know if if the mayor, who was mayor in 85, when it, before he left, may have actually just set himself thoroughly on the path to do that as opposed to got there by some other means the previous time. So mm. uh, there may be other little changes that have made uh, maybe nobody in the... Uh, Nobody in that town ever drives a convertible ever again. <laughs> for, for fear of getting dumped with manure? Exactly. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> I, I, I did uh, want to go back to the thought that I had lost prior, though. One of the things that, uh, about our MacGuffin here, the, uh, the time machine, this one de- very effectively pulls off the same thing that our first time machine pulls off and that it travels through time mm-hmm. but not through space not any more so than its four wheels can carry exactly it. so so we don't show up in the the past most greatest adventures just because that's where we want to be it no matter what it's going to be wherever it took off from so to the point where it becomes problematic, like when you go through, you're you're aiming toward the theater. The theater's still there on the other side. <laughs> yes, they did keep to the laws of a time versus a time and space kind of machine. I I did I did like that. Yeah. Um, you know the effects are minimal. Mm-hmm. You only really need them when you know the lightning strikes and the uh, the time travel. And it all is a, it is all your kind of just basic animation, mm-hmm. but it works just fine. You really don't have you don't sit there and go, yeah, that's dated. You don't. It's just nope. That's good. No, and no, it's all very effective. It, it, it holds up very well. That's what's gonna make this thing just kind of last. It sits firmly in 1985. It took place in 1985. It's not trying to be anything different. It goes back to 1955. I thought they pulled off 1955 amazingly. It looked great. Um, everyone kind mm-hmm. of behaved like you were would expect at that time. Love the running gag where he's wearing a, wearing a windbreaker and everybody thinks he's wearing a life jacket. <laughs> yes, he's got the, the, the puffy vest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. 
So everybody assumes he's either in the Coast Guard or the Navy, which is hysterical. Hey, kid, what'd you do, jump ship? What? What's with the life preserver? I just want to use the phone. Yeah, it's in the back. You order something. Right, give me a Pepsi free. You want a Pepsi, pal? You're gonna pay for it. Look, just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Some of that sugar. Yes, no, the, the, the running gag with him using those terms. It's just that stuff's all great. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that uh, Lorraine can't stop calling him Calvin Klein. But it was on your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing, the Back to the Future film, I mean, it launched a huge multimedia franchise. It had an animated television series, mm-hmm. it, video games, comic books, board games, clothing, music, books, food, toys, collectibles, and even theme park rides. And I just looked on uh, Wikipedia here, if Wiki's to believe the budget was $19 million. box office, Three hundred and eighty-eight plus. That's a hell of a return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and there's there's no reason. There's no wonder they actually went and made two more. <laughs> oh, and um, they even turned Back to the Future into a stage musical. Didn't know it was a musical. <laughs> yes, and apparently it's pretty damn incredible, complete with flying DeLorean. Oh, nice! At at, at the end, that zooms out over the audience and stuff. Oh, we'll see. Now I'd go watch that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> After all, at the end of the movie, who didn't want a flying DeLorean at the end of that movie? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When you left the theater in 1985, you had no idea that they would ever make a sequel. That was not on, on the mind at all. But mm-hmm. you desperately wanted to see that car again. <laughs> When they filmed the ending, they actually really didn't have any intention on doing a sequel. The uh, The cliffhanger was um, just kind of like, supposed to be just one last joke. Yeah. Uh, Zemeckis and um, Gail said, had they planned on doing a sequel, they wouldn't have put Jennifer in the car with them. Oh, yeah. uh, Marty's girlfriend. Because that ended up being just an issue. <laughs> <laughs> down the road. Well, especially the, since they had to change the actress. Apparently the there was a to-be-continued that was inserted in the VHS release, but then uh, removed from the t- 2002 DVD release for some reason. Okay. But in the original film, I, I don't think there was a uh, to-be-continued or anything. No, that's actually one of those things. Uh, and, and to this day, one of the most aggravating things i know we're talking back to the future one but i can't not mention in back to the future two going to a theater 
watching a movie and having them literally put to be continued at the end of the at the end of the uh, movie I, I I was absolutely appalled I I hated it mm. I, I'm okay with a a movie leading into a to to go to a third sequel but give me a finished story and then go ahead and continue on in the next one. You left it at cliffhanger, put it to be continued, and said, pay me. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. And I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I, I, I almost won't watch uh, Back to the Future 2 just because of that. And I actually enjoyed Back to the Future 2 right up to that point. Well, I'm guessing you didn't have any issues finding reviews of the time <laughs> for this one. No. Not not a single person wrote anything about this film. No, um, no. What I was uh, intrigued by was uh, uh, the the breadth of uh, potential things that people wrote about um, Back to the Future. So, um, just running through a few snippets. Of course, uh, you get. Uh, I've got a snippet here from Gene Siskel. Uh, go figure. Mm-hmm. So what we have in the middle of Back to the Future, this seeming kids movie full of screeching cars, special effects, and lightning storms, is nothing less than an adult, very, I'm not, not familiar with that word, and if families could be persuaded to see this film together, it might touch off a long night of sharing between parents and children, which, exactly, that's... That's what this film did for a lot of people. It, it reconnected your parents to you. Um, New York Times, uh, uh, Janet Maslin uh, wrote, uh, Mr. Zemeckis is able both to keep the story moving and to keep it from going too far. He handles Back to the Future with the kind of inventiveness that indicates that he will be spinning funny, whimsical, tall tales for a long time to come. But then we move into some of the uh, 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 rockier ones out there. Um, Director Raha, this is from The Reader by David Kerr. Doctor, or Doctor. Director uh, Robert Zemeckis confronts the edible heart of the time travel genre with this zestful, tasteless 1985 tale. Tasteless. Tasteless. Wow, all right. And, and the absolute worst I could find <laughs> was from, of all things, the Los Angeles Times. Sheila Benson wrote, It's big, cartoonish, and empty with an, in, with an interesting press, a premise that is underdeveloped and overproduced. And like, not sure what you were watching. <laughs> no, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> no, but the, I, these are the, the reviews. It's almost like you feel like people that went out, out of their way to hate it just wanted to write something. <laughs> but yeah, that's the kind of array of stuff that's out there. But overwhelmingly, uh, it was well received. I didn't know there was anyone that didn't like this film. No, no, <laughs> uh, no I, and I get that any... Uh, any movie critic worth their salt's going to always have something. There's always going to be something. Um, right. But that one, 
that was a little much. I, I feel like they were like, um, they just felt like they had to be contrarians, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's the movie critic that then goes out and watches some really off-the-wall art film that they don't understand and then praises that to the hilt. Yes. I don't know what it means, but it's brilliant. <laughs> like, But th- this appeals to the masses, so it can't possibly be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is this is taking millions upon millions of dollars and putting it in somebody's hands, so it must be bad. Yeah, the, actually, interestingly, and I'm just going to tie the, this in because... <laughs> what I, do you mean it didn't play at Cannes? Hmm. <laughs> Reading recently, uh, Elizabeth Olsen was commenting on um people that didn't uh, that didn't feel like marvel was producing anything this sits in those category uh, it, she she was taking issue with the fact that you're, you're gonna put all this down as not being like good filmmaking but there are a lot of people that put in a lot of effort and people like these things Yes. Why does that detract from whether or not you think it's art? Yeah, <laughs> there is nothing wrong with making a popcorn movie. No. There's a reason no. a lot of them get made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, there's nothing wrong with trying to make a uh, message film. There's nothing wrong with making an art film. There's nothing wrong with any of it. But, yeah, don't complain or bash one just because you prefer the other. Right. They, they, they are not the same. There's a reason they're not the same. <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to appeal to multiple tastes here. so And no one film is necessarily intended to satisfy everybody's palate. But it doesn't necessarily make it bad that exactly. it's not your cup of tea. So yeah. to, you, you, always, you always hear that every movie is somebody's favorite movie. Yeah. We discuss this uh, endlessly in this, as we, as we ourselves are, are are critiquing these things. A lot of effort went in to make any film. We will never disparage entirely the effort that went into it. We might not agree that it was great, <laughs> but <laughs> but we will never flat out put anybody down for the 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 effort with rare we, exception <laughs> i i may suggest that you use your powers for good right. instead of evil but <laughs> right so I, I i that's that was the fun of reading that particular that particular review because i'm like that one just strikes as harsh just for the sake of being harsh well i've never met anyone that didn't like it so i i think they're wrong <laughs> and it's a fantastic <laughs> film that is absolutely timeless i understand it's been uh preserved i think it's been one of those ones that's been selected by the library of congress or something as being culturally culturally significant so there will always be a print of back to the future in this world that's awesome. and thank goodness <laughs> uh, i'm good with that choice yes yeah now I think more critiquing couldn't be put towards the sequels. Oh, yeah. They're all fun, but it is a diminishing returns. Yeah, uh, with, without us having fully rewatched and re-reviewed them, but they 
they're essentially wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, certainly the main story is someone's in the wrong time and has to get back to the right time or have, has to fix the timeline. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, they even do uh, the gags. The uh, Many of the gags that hit amazingly in the first one, they get repeated in the second and the third. And yes, you just kind of like, yeah, saw that. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not sure Back to the Future 3 did as much for ZZ Top as <laughs> the first one did for Huey Lewis in the News. No, no, not... As much as I liked ZZ Top, I, I'll, I'll listen to me some ZZ Top, sure. no problem. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think their, uh, their songs in that film and their appearance in that film really uh, paid off. <laughs> Here's how much it didn't pay off. Until you said that, I didn't even remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and I can say it's been really long time since I've seen three. Like, I've probably only seen it in its entirety the first time I watched it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have not sat for that one. Yeah, I've watched all three fairly recently as a family rewatch sure. or, or first time watch for my son and a rewatch for my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And it was probably the first time, like you said, you know, probably in at least a decade, if not more, uh, since uh, the, the adults had seen the film. Sure. Yeah, there, there's a reason why I'm good with no to be continued at the end of the first one, because I can watch that and move on with my life. Yes. Well, I think that's all we can say about Back to the Future. Uh, it's a great film. Go watch it again if you haven't watched it recently. Uh, we haven't discussed what we're going to be doing next episode. We have not. So uh, we will uh, we'll end this one and uh, talk about that, and it'll be a surprise for all of us in two weeks. <laughs> I'd like to say, to be continued. <laughs> How fit. <laughs> <laughs> How hypocritical of you, my God. I know. You work right? for the LA Times or something? <laughs> all right, well, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. See ya.